welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. <clears throat> uh, I, actually, I actually talked to my, um, my rodeo partner today, and uh, Jimmy, and I asked him, I said, I forgot where you said that you're from in Kentucky. He said, I'm from Jack Horn. Y'all know where that's at? It's past Hazard. Just keep on going past Hazard over there. And I don't even know what direction I'm in right now. Because when I'm in a building, I don't know my north, south, east, and west. I know what's up. I, no matter what building, but I, don't, I have to be outside. So some of y'all were asking about that. So that's, that's the trivia question, or trivia answer, is Jack Horn. Is where he was from. So look it up on a map. It's right past Hazard. Um, I'll be honest with y'all. I was struggling today about what I was going to preach tonight. And I was back and forth and back and forth. And uh, I was just praying before I got here. And the Lord just laid this passage on my heart. And then after hearing uh, Mr. Bowles' uh, testimony, uh, I'm 100% sure I'm supposed to preach this message. Because um, it's encouraging. I think we need to hear that tonight. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, we're going to start, and I'm going to break it down. We're going to go 19 through 25, but I'm going to read the first uh, verses, 19 first, before I uh, pray. And this is the writer of Hebrews. He's writing to Hebrew Christians, early Jewish Christians. And here's what he said. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and we're going to pause there and we'll pick it up in the rest of the message. Father, for those that don't know you tonight, I pray God that you would make it crystal clear that you want a relationship with them. God, that you would tear down walls of pride and rebellion and, and, and just draw them, open up their ears, uh, soften their hearts to you, Lord. Draw them to yourself tonight. And Father, for those that are hurting, are uh, suffering, or, or wanting to give up, wanting to quit, I pray, God, you encourage them tonight. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have a lot to cover tonight, so I'm just going to get right after it, because uh, I don't want to keep y'all here all night. So here's, what, here's the deal. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews is writing to J the early church, the Jewish Christians, the ones that just, you know, have recently given their life to Christ. And so here's what he says. There are two, in this verse that we just got through reading, there are two huge theological truths that we gather from this, this verse. And then he tells us four practical things that we need to do as a result of these two theological truths. And so the first one is this. The first theological truth that we all need to know as believers and as Christians. He says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. Now... To give you a background of what's going on here, in the Old Testament, do you remember when the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, out of slavery, they were out in the wilderness, and God set up a portable church building they called a tabernacle, 
God gave him the exact dimensions on how to build the tabernacle, the materials that will be made out of, the posts, I mean everything, the curtains, the color, everything. So you have the outer court out there, that's where the altar was, that's where sacrifices were made. So uh, if your family was going to go worship, y'all would bring a bull, a goat, y'all would take it to the priest out there, he would sacrifice it out there, y'all remember that? Then you had an inner court, a place of worship, but then you had a place back here called the Holy of Holies. And nobody could come back here. This is where there was a huge curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everybody else. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. How many of y'all seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark with Indiana Jones? All right, yep. The Ark of the Covenant that he's trying to get, that's what was back here. Okay? So you had the Ark of the Covenant back here. This is where God showed up. This is where he manifested his presence. Inside that Ark, it had... Uh, uh, the staff, you know, and it had the manna and all that. So the, the Ten Commandments had that in there. So God said, Moses, the only person that can come into the Holy of Holies is your brother Aaron, the high priest. He can only come one day a year on the Day of Atonement. And when he comes into my presence, he has to wear special clothes, go through special ceremonial cleansings, and he has to bring with him blood from a lamb and, and sacrifice it on the altar, on the, on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, for the forgiveness of sin for the entire nation of Israel. Do y'all remember that? Jewish tradition says also that the priest, it was so serious about going into God's presence. They just couldn't, the priest couldn't just walk in there. The pre preacher, the pastors, the evangelists, we couldn't go in there. It's only the high priest. And when he, he, the clothes at the bottom of his robe were sewn gold bells. So they would sound off when he went in there so he wouldn't die. Do y'all remember that? Jewish tradition also says that they would tie a rope around the priest's leg so that if he went in there, if he died, they couldn't go get him. They had to drag him out. Because God said, you know, God doesn't, you know, write his word and say, oh, no, but in this circumstance, I don't mean that. You know, you can do whatever you want to. No, when God says something, he means it. And so you couldn't go back there. All right. Do y'all remember that? Okay, that's the Old Testament. All right. Now we're in the New Testament. And do you remember when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out and he said, It is finished. When he said that, the Bible says there was a huge earthquake. Uh, tombs were just opened up, busted up, rocks split in half. The Bible says the curtain in the temple of the Holy of Holies, it was torn in two from top to bottom, opening that baby wide open, signifying no longer do we need a high priest to go into the Holy of Holies for us, God has given us direct access to the very throne room of God. That is exciting. See, they got cheated back then. We don't. We have access to God 24-7. How do we have access to God? What's he saying? Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. How? By the blood of God. Of Jesus do you know what that means that means if you that are sitting in here tonight if you have never repented of your sins invited Christ to come to your life to make him your boss your Lord your Savior if you have never committed your life to Christ I don't care who you are I don't care what position that you have in this church or any church for that matter if you have never given your life to Christ your sins have not been covered by the blood of Jesus. Do you know what that means? That means you do not have access to God. And you wonder why your prayers are not being answered? 
You wonder why they're just bouncing off the ceiling? Because you don't have access. The only way you have access to God is through the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. In just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you've never given your life to Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity tonight to invite Him into your life, to be your boss, your Lord, your Savior. So you can have access to Him. You can pray to Him. You can talk to Him. Because as of right now, you don't have that access. But you can tonight. That's the first theological truth we need to know. Now let me show you the second. The second, he goes on and says, and it's by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. The second theological truth that we need to know is, is that since we have access to God, we get back there, we find out that Jesus is large and in charge. He's over the house of God. He's in charge. So if you feel like that your life is spinning out of control and you don't know what's happening, hey, Jesus has got this. He's in charge. Some of y'all, y'all need to quit watching the news. Because you're worried, you're freaking out, you're worried about what's happening. Man, I quit watching a long time ago. Because I'm going to tell you something, there's no point in me worrying about this. Because Jesus has this. He's in control. Nothing's got out, nothing's out of his control, nothing is out of his sight. He knows what's going on. Do you realize he, he used, over and over in the Bible, he used wicked people, wicked governments to correct his children? Over and over. Look at Babylon. Look at Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, and we go on and on and on. How he did that to correct his children. So, is that what he's doing right now? I don't know. But I know this. I know he's in charge. And so I don't have to worry about anything. Okay, since we know those two truths, since we know these two theological truths, then what's some practical things that we need to do? He says there's things, four things that we need to do and we need to know as a result of this. Number one is this. Go on in verse 22. He says, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance of, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Here's what he says. Since we have access to the throne room of God, take advantage of the access he's given you. Draw near to him. Get, get close to Do you realize that you get, you get close to God, you, know, you can draw near to him, reading your word every day, talking to him through prayer? Do, do you realize that? And a lot of times in churches, we have to twist people's arms, try to get them to read the Bible or to pray or to fast, don't we? He says, hey, I've given you this access that the people in the Old Testament, they didn't have that access. They had to have somebody else go for them to me, to my presence. I'm, not do, I'm giving you access to me now. That's what he says. I have a friend of mine uh, from uh, Michigan. His name is Ed Emerling. Is our youth pastor, is he in here? Where is he? In the sound booth. So you'll like this, my man. So he, he was a youth pastor at this time, but now he's the pastor of the church. And so Ed, and this was a long, when I was younger, I was single, okay? So don't, don't hold anything about this story. Don't hold this against me. You've got to understand, I was a single man at the time. All right? Or y'all have that in your mind. Because I know that you've heard me tell my stories about my wife. I want you to know, this was way before I met her. Y'all understand that. This is important. Okay. So my man Ed was the youth minister. He calls me up. We're friends. He's in Michigan. 
calls me up one day, out of the blue, a youth minister, calls me up and says, hey, Ronnie, guess what? I said, what? He said, I'm going to be on the Jay Leno show tomorrow night. A youth minister at a church, going to be on the Jay Leno show. I said, no, you aren't. You're not going to be on the Jay Leno show. He said, yes, I am. I'm going to be on the Jay Leno show tomorrow night. I said, what are you going to be doing on the Jay Leno show? Because I mean, all he has on there is movie stars and stuff like that, singers. I said, what are you doing on the Jay Leno show? He said, you know Butterbean? Now, for those of y'all that might be a little younger, you might not know Butterbean. Butterbean used to be a heavyweight boxer. Okay, he was a heavyweight boxer. He, he won in, not, in uh, Alabama like nine tough man contests in a row. Ended up becoming a heavyweight boxer, a professional fighter. The dude was huge. He, he, he was just huge. He had no neck, bald head. It's like you stuck a bowling ball on somebody's neck. That, my friend Ed looked exactly like him. So he won this Butterbean look-alike contest. Okay, and Butterbean got his nickname by, he went on a, a diet just eating Butterbeans. But it, it didn't work. I, I wouldn't suggest that because he, he was still a big man. So, so my friend, Ed, he says, man, I'm going to be on the show. He said, hey, I got two extra tickets to the show. You want to go? I said, yeah, I'll go. I was single. Didn't have nothing to do. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go. So, man, I, I cashed in freaking flyer miles, got a plane ticket, flew up to California. Get to California next day. My friend Ed is in the hotel. They put him up in this big swank hotel, you know, all the movie stars and all that, people that go there and all that. So I go up to the hotel. I'm like, I can't believe it. I can't believe you're going to be on the show. He said, I can't either. His wife was there and stuff. We're all excited. So about this time, we're getting ready to go to the show. So we go downstairs. I got my rental car. I'm thinking I'm going to have to, you know, just follow him or something. So I get down there. All these butter beans are down there. They, they, got, they got big butter beans, little bitty butter They had a... They had a 10-year-old Butterbean. He was 10 years old. He shaved his head, and he was wearing, Butterbean would wear uh, like the American flag trunks, boxer trunks. So it was red, white, and blue, stars, blue star, all that stuff. He, so this little man had these boxers, and he, he was like, he was this tall. And so he had the shaved head, the Butterbean head. And, so, and then they had one dude that was like six foot nine, just tall, skinny dude. And, and then they had my friend Ed who looked just like him. And so uh, I'm like, I'm, I can't believe it. So I'm meeting all of them, you know, and meeting the little dude and talking to him. He's from Alabama. And so then they had the real Butterbean there. And talking to him. So they, the guy comes in from the show and says, hey, if y'all ready to go to the show, y'all, let's go. Let's load up the limo. Let's go. So I'm following him. I'm, I'm about to go out to the car. He goes, you can come with us if you want to. I said, I, I can ride in the limo with y'all? He said, yeah. I said, okay. So do, do y'all understand? I'm nobody. Okay? I just know a Butterbean lookalike. That's it. So we get in the limo, we go to the show. And behind the scenes at the show of Jay Leno, they had all these dressing rooms. They had all these private dressing rooms and stuff. And so every single one of these Butterbeans had their own dressing room and all that. Well, my friend Ed, y'all have got to know this because this is important for the story. My friend Ed, he has a shaved bald head, but that dude is the hairiest dude on the planet. I'm talking about, like, hair all over. He's like a gorilla. And it's just like, you know, he don't leave a little deal like this on his shirt. He's got, he has to wear another shirt underneath one of these kind of shirts because hair just, it's just going out like this. And so, so he said, hey, um, you know, we're standing there next to his dresser. He says, hey, I, I've, got to, uh, I've got to shave. And I said, like, what? He said, my whole body. I said, oh, I'm not standing here for that. And he said, okay. I said, I'll go down. They had a green room. 
You know the green room that all the celebrities go into? They said, oh, you can go down the green room. I said, well, well that's where I'm going. So, because I'm not staying here for this, you know, hair's going to be flying everywhere. I'm, get, I'm getting out of here. So, I go down the green room. Man, they had steak. They had shrimp. They had the, like a chocolate fountain, like the little chocolate fountain thing going. And so, man, I am throwing down. I got the strawberry doing this right here. I got me a little some shrimp and stuff. They got a TV monitor. I'm watching them practice on the show and all that kind of stuff for what's happening. Man, I, do y'all I don't know anybody. I just know a butter bean look-alike. So I'm sitting back there, and I did have a ticket for the show. So right before the show is about to start, oh, I forgot to tell y'all this. This is this important part. So I go down to the end after I get down the dressing room or the green room and stuff, and uh, I'm talking to Butterbean, the real one, the real Butterbean. And so he has his door open. He says, come on in, man. So I go in and sit down. He's from Alabama. I'd lived in Alabama two years in college, so he and I had some you know, to talk about. So we're talking. He's all mad. He's mad at Jay Leno's crew because they're trying to make him wear his boxer shorts that he fights in. And Jay had had him on the show like four or five times. He loved Butterbean for some reason. And so he said, man, I just bought a brand new suit. Cost me $300. And they're trying to make me wear these suits. And he said, a boxers. And I didn't bring my boxers. So they got some purple boxers that they're trying to put me in. And so he's mad about it. We're talking about it. stuff. As we're sitting there talking about it, about this time we hear all this commotion coming down the hallway. And so, you know, a bunch of people and stuff, police officers. And then all of a sudden, right through the open door, there walks Cindy Crawford. Cindy Crawford walks straight into the dressing room right next to Butterbean. And we look at each other and we're both like, that's, that's Cindy Crawford. I said, Cindy Crawford? She's, did you know she's going to be on the show? I said, I didn't know she was going to I said, I didn't either. Cindy Crawford is right. I mean, do y'all understand? Two pieces of sheetrock and Cindy Crawford's right there. So we can't believe she's going to be on the show. We didn't know it, nothing. We just thought a bunch of Butterbeans and stuff. We had no idea. So about this time, when he and I are sitting there talking, we hear this. Turn around, Cindy Crawford standing right there in the flesh. So me being a gentleman, southern gentleman, woman walks in the room, you stand up. So I stand up. She looks at Butterbean. He's sitting on the couch. She said, she said are you Butterbean? He said, I, 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 I'm, I'm Butterbean. She said, well, nice to meet you. I'm Cindy Crawford. She turns around and says, hey, I'm Cindy. I said, hey, I'm Ronnie. Nice to meet you. So she looks back at Butterbean. She goes, hey. Who are all those other butterbeans? She said, that little butterbean. Who's he? Where's he from? Well, he didn't know. He's a big celebrity, you know, so he didn't talk to nobody. I knew. I talked to the boy. I said, I'll tell you who he is. So I started telling him, let me tell you, he's from Alabama, blah, blah, blah. And I started telling him about his mom and dad and blah, 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 all this stuff. And I said, you want me to tell you about the six-foot-nine one, the, the big string one? Let me tell you where he's from. So we, we talked for like 20 minutes. And so about that time, the publicist come and said, Cindy, we got to go. You, we got to get your hair done. And I'm sitting there thinking, she her hair's fine. She don't need to get her hair done. She's fine. And so she goes, all right, I'll see y'all later. I'll talk to you. So she goes in, does that. Then Butterbean's like, okay, I got to put these purple trunks. I'm like, well, I ain't, I'm not seeing that either. So, so I got run out of another, uh, another Butterbean dressing room. So, so I'm down there doing this. Well, as I'm in the green room eating, they're getting ready for the show, okay? Because uh, the, the show's about to start, and so Jay comes on and does his monologue first, and then, you know, then they're going to interview Cindy and then they do the butter beans. And so as they're doing all this, they're interviewing Cindy and stuff, I go down to see my friend because he's down there mowing that thing. And, I, I, you know, I'm just seeing if he's ready and stuff. So I, I go down there, and, and as, as I'm about to go out, I come out, Cindy, it was just a God thing. It was perfect timing. 
as I'm walking out of the green room, going down there, she comes, she's done with her, her interview. She comes out off the stage and comes right in front. There's all kinds of police officers in front of her and stuff like that. No, they won't let nobody talk to her. She's the last one. I come in right behind her. And uh, she has her mic on and stuff. She's taking her mic off. I said, hey, Cindy. She turned around and said, hey. I said, hey, would you take a picture with me? She said, yeah. So she says, uh, here, give me, your, give me a camera. So I give her a camera to her publicist. She puts her arm around me. I told y'all this was before I was married. She puts her arm around. I put my arm around her. I got a big old smile. Click. I got a picture of me and Cindy Crawford. My friend, Ed, who was on the show, never, ever met her at all. He didn't meet her. And so here it was. The only way I got to meet her was because this is what happened. Right before the show started, stagehand come in with sets on. He comes in and says, hey, uh, if you got tickets to the show, if you want to go out and sit on the front, you know, front row and be on the show, you know, you know, when the show comes on, that's when you need to go right now. I'm like, I'm staying back here. He said, you can stay back here, no problem. But if you want to go, you know, sit on the front row, you need to go now. I go, no, I'm good. I'll stay back here. How crazy would it have been if I'd have gone and just sat out in the audience? Why would I want to sit out in the audience when I could stay backstage in the green room and meet Cindy Crawford? Why would I want to go sit out in the audience? But here's the thing, folks. That's the way a lot of us are doing with Jesus. Jesus says, hey, I've given you backstage passes to my throne room. You can come anytime, anywhere, whatever's going on in your life. You can come into my presence 24-7. And what do we do? We sit out in the audience like a bunch of dorks. Why would we want to do that? His son Jesus died on the cross for us to give us access to him. Do you understand that you can draw near to God when you're in the waiting room and your loved one's in there having surgery? Do you know that you can draw near to him? Do you know that you can draw near to God when you find out you're one of your family members has COVID and nobody else can go up there and see him? Do you know that you can draw near to him? Do you know that when your marriage is on the rocks and you have nowhere else to turn, you know you can draw near to God? Do you know that you, when you're driving down the road on the way to work, you can draw near to God? Do you know when you're sitting in class and you feel like that nobody cares about you, nobody knows you exist, do you know that you can draw near to God? He says, take advantage of the access I've given you. Don't just sit out in the audience. Draw near to me. Open up that word. Make it a habit every single day in the morning, getting in the word of God. Get in the word of God before you get on Facebook. Get on the word, in the word of God before you get on Snapchat, or on Twitter, or on Instagram. Get in the Word of God. Talk to Him. Worship. Second thing he goes on and says this. He says in verse 23, he says, And let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. Now, why would the writer of Hebrews tell these early Christians, hold on to the hope you profess? Why, why would he say that? Why would he say, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess? Why would he do that? Because here's what's happening. Some of these Jewish Christians were thinking, you know what? It was a lot easier before we gave our life to Christ. 
you know, when we went and showed up on Sabbath on Saturday and went to church with everybody else, everybody else was in good with us, man, that was a lot easier then. But now that we've given our life to Christ and we're following Him and we worship on Sunday and we're outcast and everybody, they're, they're getting their homes taken away from them, their businesses taken away from them, they were getting mocked, beat, all this, they were feeling all this pressure. Hey, y'all feeling pressure from woke society today? Y'all feel that? Y'all feel that what's going on? He says, hey, hold unswervingly to the hope you profess. Don't give up. A lot of people, a lot of them are wanting to give up and wanting to go back. Man, let's just go back to the way it was. He says, don't give up. Hold on. Don't give up. Don't, when, when the time is coming down, it's hard on you. He says, don't give up. Hold unswervingly to the hope you profess. There was a farmer, a story told of a farmer who had an old dog. And this old hound dog was on the back porch every day. So just come out every morning after he eat breakfast. Dog's there. And he'd go off feeding with him, feeding the cows and stuff, and going around the ranch. One morning he come out. His dog wasn't there. He's thinking, I wonder where he is. Where he went. I was, this is unusual. He doesn't do that. So he started, started calling for him. Hey, boy. Where are you? Way off in the distance, he heard the dog. He was looking, and you could see across his pastures for a long ways. He could not see that dog. He heard him, couldn't see him. He said, where are you, boy? Come on, boy. So he started walking towards the sound. And the sound got louder and louder. He walked right up to his water well. And his dog had fallen in his well. And he was at the very bottom. And it was a dried up well. There was no water in it. But the dog fell. It was more for looks more than anything in his history. And the dog had fell in that well and broke his leg. And the old farmer was thinking, man, he's old, broke leg. I might as well go ahead and put him down. So the farmer went and got a shovel. He got the shovel. He started digging. He'd dig. He'd throw the dirt in. He also wanted to fill up that well because he didn't want any grandkids falling in the well. So he'd take that dirt. He'd throw it down the well, and the dog's looking up. <laughs> dog shake it off. Keep looking up at him. Farmer, throw it down the well. Ooh, you know the dog's thinking, no, I said a rope. I said a rope. You know that's what he's thinking. But that, that dirt would hit him in the face every single time. And that dog would just shake it off, and he stepped up. And that farmer kept throwing dirt, digging dirt, throwing it in there. Shake it off, he'd step up. Finally, the dog quit barking. He just kept hitting him in the face, shaking it off, and stepping up. Finally, that dog, on the last time, was able to shake it off, and he stepped right out of the well. I want you to know something, folks. Satan's going to come at you. He's going to throw all kinds of dirt, junk your way. And when he does, in this COVID time, when people are depressed, tired, ready to give up, shake it off, and step up. 
You want me to tell you why? We say, Ronnie, why should I do that? Why should I shake it off? Why should I keep going? Why should I not give up? Because what did he say? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. God is faithful. He will never let you down. He will always be there with you. Are things going to be perfect? No. But he is faithful. He's a good God. Shake it off and step up. Third thing you need to see, verse 24, he goes on and says this, and not only let us hold on swervingly, he said, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Another version says provoke. That word spur means to provoke one another. We are to provoke one another, and we are to encourage one another all the more. I told y'all we have horses and stuff, and one of my horses' names is Colonel. He's the oldest one on our place, and he's my best horse that I've had throughout my whole whole life and colonel I, th- I think he has add i'm not sure if he does but i think he does we know our dog our dog's an australian shepherd he definitely has add he's just spastic all over the place all the time but i think colonel does because here's the deal so when i'm rodeoing and, and roping what we do is i back my horse in a box at the very back of the arena i back him in the box we have a chute in the middle with a steer in it with horns my partner, he's on the other side on his horse. So I back my horse in the box, and Colonel's just la di da di da little ears going everywhere, you know. But when I get my spurs and I turn them in, all of a sudden his little lollygagging ADD self, he goes from this to whoop, and he can point them ears. And he's got those ears going just like, and I don't know how they do it. They can also throw one backwards. So he can throw one backwards, he's listening to me, looking, look, listening, looking. And he's doing this the whole time. Just because I got those spurs on him, he's ready. I'm not gouging him or anything like that. I just got him turned in, let him know I got him on. And so I got his undivided attention. I was at a rodeo, and we were roping. And so on our first steer, I'm sitting there. He's totally fine, got the ears going, ready. I nod my head, they let the steer out of the chute. I take off after the steer, and I'm kicking, kicking, kicking to get him to go to the steer and it was like he was stuck in third gear he would I mean like he's just like and I'm kicking 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 and he will not go and I'm like what is the deal so I have to reach and throw a bomb and catch the steer turn my partner ropes him come up I'm like what is going on somebody at the chute way back to the back hollers Ronnie hey Ronnie I go yeah he holds up a spur I look down and my right spur come off my boot. I'm like, oh, that's the deal. So I go down there. I get my spur. I put up some bailing wire and tie it around my boot so it's not coming off. I back in for our second steer. I turn them spurs in, and he thought he's going to get away with something. He's just like, do 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 And he's like, whoa, oh, no. Oh, no. Spurs back on. The spurs back on. So then I nod. As soon as I nod, boom, he was like, it's like overdrive. He was like, right on top of that steer, just like that. Because he knew his job. He knew what he was supposed to do. He just got lazy and just like messing around. That's what the word is talking about, that we are to spur one another on. We are to encourage. It's not judgmental. It's not putting anybody down. It's just like the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so another brother sharpens another brother. Listen, we need people around us that are going to tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. 
I'm going to say that again. We need people around us that are going to tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. And you know what that means? That means that they're going to be family members that want to tell us their opinion and their advice and stuff like that. But you don't need to be listening to them because they're not believers. The only people that we need speaking in our lives are other Christians who love God and, and know how to get a hold of God and are close to Him. I don't care who they are in this community, how important they are. If they don't know Jesus, they don't have the same worldview that I have. They don't have the same connection with the same God that I have. So I don't need them speaking into my life or even into this church. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? So we need to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So I've had before friends of mine living with their, their girlfriend. So guess what? I'm going to speak into his life. Say, hey, brother, that's not what the Bible teaches. I'm not, getting, I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying it never works out if you go living together first. The Bible doesn't teach that. He's not going to bless that. And I want to encourage you, you need to get married or you need to move out, one of the two. You can still date them, but you don't need to be living together, sleeping together. God's not going to honor that. So that's the kind of stuff we need to encourage one. If we see somebody slipping, we need to spur them on. That's what the Bible teaches. The last thing he says is this, verse 25. He said, and don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You tell me if this doesn't sound like today. Right now in the time that we live, in this COVID era. I'm going to read it again. Do not be given up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Say, so what, what, what were they doing that for? Remember, think about what's going on here, the context of the situation, what's happening. The Hebrew Christians, okay, they, they gave their life to Christ. They were followers of Christ. So as a result, they moved from worshiping their Sabbath on Saturday to now they're worshiping on Sunday. Before, as a, as a, as a follower of God, if you wanted to get forgiveness of your sins, you went to church on Saturday, you brought a bull, a goat, you sacrificed, you brought it to the priest, he sacrificed it to God for the forgiveness of sins for you and your family. All right, now Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross. He was the final sacrifice once and for all. So we don't need a high priest to do that for us. So they're thinking, hey, what's the point in going? Why do we need to be going to church now? I mean, because we don't need the priest. We, you know, we need blood sacrifice. Jesus is our blood sacrifice. He says, so some of them were in the habit of not going together. How about, does that not sound like today? That some people are like, oh, it's COVID. COVID, you know, we don't need to be going to church because it's COVID. So we need to stay home and watch it online. Uh, I'm preaching to you folks that are watching online right now. I just want you to know that. So, unless you're bedridden and you can't get out, I totally understand that. But you people that are staying on home, online, and you're watching because you use it as an excuse, but you will find the same people have no problem going to the grocery store amongst all those other germs and stuff floating around going there or going somewhere else with their friends to a restaurant going to eat but oh we can't come to church can't come to church because you know COVID stuff's floating around are, are we not talking is this not today as some are in the habit of doing so what's the big deal about coming to church I'm going to tell you what the big deal is he said we are to encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. See, because here's the deal. There are people in here that you have gifts that I don't have. 
You have gifts the pastor doesn't have. I'll show you per- perfect case in point. Miss Evelyn, right here. That lady, I just got through telling her this today, right, right before church. She has the spiritual gift of encouragement. Every single time I've seen her at church this week, every single time she has had a spiritual gift of encouragement to me. I'm going to tell you this. I don't have that gift. It is hard for me to do that. It's hard for me to, and you know, being around me, I'm not that way. I'm, I'm black and white. Here's how it is. I have no sense of mercy in me whatsoever. My wife has all the mercy. So that, God gave me her to help my son because I am hard on my son. My wife has the mercy. See, but when I come here to church, I need that gift. Miss Evelyn, you'll never know how many people that you've encouraged and spoke to, how many lives that you might have even saved as a result of just your smiling at them, encouraging them, letting them know. We all have different gifts in the body of Christ. And I'm going to show you how important it is. My wife, uh, you know, they don't get to travel with me all the time. Sometimes in the summer they get to go with me. But I was preaching in Houston on 9-11 five years ago. And I was in Houston, and we pre- I preached Sunday morning, and then I preached uh, Sunday night. And when I got through Sunday night, went through the drive-thru, the only thing there where I was where I was preaching at was a Sonic. That was the best thing they had in that area where I was at. So I went to the drive-thru at Sonic. As soon as I went through the drive-thru, I went back to the hotel. Got back to the hotel. Now it's about 9 o'clock at night. My wife calls me. She is freaking out. She is crying. She is bawling. I don't understand anything that's going on. I, I, I can't understand a word she's saying. I said, honey, what's wrong? What's wrong? Honey. Honey, tell me, just tell me, what, what's wrong? What's, what's happened? Is Jake okay? It, are, are you okay? Did you get hurt? Is something, did something happen? What, honey, what's happening? What's wrong? I'm telling you, for 15 minutes, she could not talk. She just cried and bawled and cried and bawled. Finally, she said, it's Jonathan. It's her brother. And here's what happened. I've counseled with my brother. Brother, brother-in-law for years since he was 16 at least I baptized him when he was 16 and I've counseled with him over and over hours upon hours texting and talking in person talking on the phone he had called my mother-in-law Jennifer's mom and Jennifer's mom is in Florida at Cocoa Beach and Jennifer was listening in on the phone call with her mom on another phone so she was listening to what her mom was, what Jonathan was saying to her mom. And he's battled depression. And he's battled that and that kind of thing and dealt with that, mental health issues. And so he was wanting to go see an ex-girlfriend, go to her house. And because uh, he found out she had cheated on him while they were dating or whatever. And he wanted to go over there. And she, and she, she kept telling, her mom kept saying, no, Jonathan, you don't need to go over there. It's not going to do any good. It's not going to help at all. You don't need to go over there. No, but I want to go over there. I want to say this to her. I want to talk to her. I want to say this to her. She said, no, Jonathan, don't go. There's no point in it. No, I want, I want to go. I just want to say this. Would you just listen? I just want to say this. She said, no, you don't, there's no point. There's nothing you, you need to say to her. You don't, you're just going to get yourself in trouble and all that kind of stuff. You don't need to go over there. No, Mom, I want to go over there. She said, you don't need to go over there. But Mom, would you listen? She said, no, John, don't go over there. Bam! Jonathan. 
Jonathan. Jonathan. Jonathan. Jonathan, are you there? Jonathan. My wife is smart as I'll get out. She immediately hangs up the phone. She gets on um, a computer. He He was living in Austin at the time. She dials in to the sheriff's department. They call the sheriff's department, tell him to go to his apartment. As they're going, she, her mom's still, Jonathan, are you there? Jonathan, Jonathan. As all this is still going on, Jennifer's doing all this on the other phone. She's listening to the police scanner. Police scanner radios in, and she can hear this on, over the Internet. And uh, police says, officer says, okay, I'm at the uh, apartment complex. I see his truck. Two minutes later, he says, okay, I'm knocking on the door, and there's, I hear a dog inside, no response. I'm going to send my partner around the other side, look in the window. 30 seconds later, they radio in. We have a male body on the floor. You send an ambulance. I immediately throw all my stuff in my car. I take off. I'm four hours from home. I made it in two and a half hours. I get to our house at about two o'clock in the morning. I just hug up my wife. My mother-in-law and my father-in-law they fly in the next morning into Austin we drive down we meet them we got maybe one hour sleep at night we go to his apartment still taped up police department tape all everywhere my mother-in-law says I want to go in I will go I said why don't you just wait let me let me go in and make sure it's okay first she said no I'm gonna that's my son I want to go in it's okay so they all go in there into his room There was a pool of blood on the floor, and they just dived down the floor and start crying for two hours. And all she keeps saying is, why, why? I could have done this, I should have done this, I should have listened to him, I should have talked to him. So after two hours, I told my wife, I said, honey, take them to the uh, hotel, get them checked in, and I'll clean all this up. Because her mom wanted all of his stuff. So they go to the hotel, and I'm by myself. And have to clean all this stuff up. And the last thing that I left to get was his mom had bought him a... Uh, a glass top desk with a glass bottom. And when he shot himself, he fell over on that desk and bled all over that desk. So I had to clean it up. Now I hunt. I'm used to doing all that. But I've never done that for somebody I love. 
I get through doing all that, loading his stuff up in the truck. I walk outside, and I just have this huge, just burden and grief. First thing I did was I picked up the phone, and I called my dad. I said, Dad, could you pray for me? And my dad prayed for me. I don't know how people make it that don't have a relationship with Christ. I want to ask you a question. If you're in the middle of something like that, who are you going to call? You need somebody that you can call like a Miss Evelyn. Somebody's going to encourage you. Somebody's going to lift you up. Somebody's going to pray for you. I don't need somebody that doesn't know Jesus going to give me some written answers. I know, and I don't even have to have answers. I just need somebody that, that loves Christ is going to be there for me, pray for me, and pray for my family. That's what he's talking about. You want to know why we keep meeting together? That's why you need to keep meeting together. Because if you're online, you ain't getting that online. You're not getting that fellowship and that encouragement from brothers and sisters in Christ week after week after week. No, that's why we need to meet together. Don't give up meeting together. Don't run from this COVID stuff and this fear. No, Satan's trying to keep us out. No, we need to meet together to encourage one another and pray for one another all the more you see the day approaching. There are some of you here tonight for the first time you realize you don't have access to God and you need it. You have nowhere to turn if something like that was to happen to you. I want you to know you can. You can tonight. You say how? If you're willing to admit that you've sinned against God, you realize the only way to heaven is through Christ because he died on the cross to pay for your sins and you're willing to repent of your sins and invite him into your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Right where you are. You can pray and invite Christ to come to your life. It's not a magical prayer. I'm not blessing the food. I'm talking about you saying, I'm all in on this Jesus. I'm committing my life to him. If you've never done that before, I'm not talking about joining the church. I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm talking about if you have never repented of your sins and committed your life to him, then I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. Can you do me a favor? Just give me two minutes. Nobody get up. Nobody leave. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes, please? With heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you, you realize tonight you don't have access to God, but you want it. You want a relationship with Him. Then you just pray this prayer with me right now, right where you're seated, and invite Him into your life. If you've never done this before, pray this prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I've messed up. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I want to turn from my sins. And I want to invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, and my best friend. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one's looking around. I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you or call you out. I just want to pray for you. 
If you're here tonight and you say, Ronnie, for the first time in my life, I prayed that prayer, I committed my life to Christ. If you just prayed that prayer with me, would just those of you that prayed that prayer, would you just look up at me right now let me catch your eyes? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, right here. Anybody else? You say, Ronnie, that's me. I just prayed that prayer. I just invited Jesus to come to my life. Anybody else in this section right here? Okay, over here in this section. See, Ronnie, that's me. Okay. Anybody else? Okay, right there. Anybody else? Got you, sweetie. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Would just those of you that prayed that prayer just keep looking up just for a second? I just want to share something with you from the Word of God. Just those that prayed the prayer. I want you to know this. According to what the Bible teaches, God has forgiven you of everything you've ever done. He's come to live in you, and he will never leave you. You say, okay, so what am I supposed to do now? Now you're supposed to let other people know. You're not supposed to be ashamed of him. You say, well, how do I do that? Here's what we're going to do. In just a minute, we're going to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room. When we stand, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, Brother David's going to lead us singing. If you prayed that prayer, I'll be standing right here. The pastor will be standing right here. Pastor, would you go ahead and come on up and stand right here? Our other pastor will be right over here. And if he'll come, Brother Herb, he's going to be right over there. If you pray that prayer, you come to me, you come to the pastor, you just say, hey, I prayed that prayer with Ronnie. You say, what are we going to do? We're going to introduce you to a person called an encourager. They're going to take you right over here to this side room. They're just going to pray with you, give you some material. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to give you a Bible because you started a spiritual journey with God today, and we'll just help you grow and get to know him. So we stand, I pray, I say amen, he sings. You step out, you come to me, the pastor, or other pastor, and just we just want to introduce you to him, take him out the side, okay? We're excited for you. So can you do me a favor? Can we all please stand now with heads bowed and eyes closed? <clears throat> heads bowed, eyes closed. As soon as I say amen, you step out and come. I'll be right here for you. You come on. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those that trust in the Lord and Savior. I pray, God, that you give them courage and boldness to take a stand for you right now. Bless their obedience, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, sings. Come on, right now. Come on. We're down here.